How we doing, church? You guys good? Hey, don't sit down just yet. Let me say one or two things to you. It is not an accident that you're here. So don't tune in today like this is random because it's not. Um, this is not a normal Sunday. So don't do church today like it is because it's not. Jesus Christ is back from the dead, which means at any given moment, anything, and I mean anything, is possible for your life. It truly is, especially on Super Bowl Sunday. My goodness. And if you're new here for the first time, please know you are not crashing this party at all. In fact, you are the guest of honor at this party. Welcome to Red Rocks Church. Welcome home. We are so grateful and glad that you're here. And I just have one verse I wanna read all of us really quick. This is Matthew chapter six, verse 10. This is red letters in your Bible, which means it comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. And this is such a critical and key verse. Jesus says this, pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know our mission statement, our vision as a church is to make heaven more crowded and earth more whole. And today, like Ryan said, we are gonna, we're gonna zero in on making earth more whole. And that's simply put, that's the title of today, making earth more whole. And I think you're gonna like this, but let's pray first before we do anything else. Jesus, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life, in our church, in our city, in our nation, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, take a seat. Well, something pretty big happened in my life about 10 weeks ago, and here is that something pretty big or pretty small, depending on how you look at it. Look at that face. That is Kinsley Jane Weckenman, and Kyle, she's never going to do anything wrong, ever, ever. Okay, I have, this, I have this belief that every male has this secret fantasy of driving to the hospital in the middle of the night at 100 miles an hour with no choice but to, to run every stop sign in red light like it's a scene out of a James Bond movie. And, and can I just say, 10 weeks ago, I crossed that off my bucket list. And Kyle, I'm chasing that high for the rest of my life. I absolutely am. Driving just thinking, I hope I see some flashing red and blues in the rearview mirror. Pull me over, officer, or try to. Escort me to the hospital. My wife's about to have a human in the passenger seat of my car. We get to the hospital in the middle of the night, just after one in the morning. It's, it's chaos. It's craziness. The doctor who was on call is not even there yet, and so they're telling Sam not to push yet. The nurses are like ninjas doing their thing. Uh, my presence could not have felt more pointless. My beautiful bride is saying things like, give me the epidural stat. And this is a quote from the head nurse who looked at her and smiled and went, oh, sweetie. About two hours too late for that. But you've got this. You can do this. You are doing this. And it was just so cool to see a team of, of 10 female nurses just champion my wife and rally around her and, and encourage her. Like, you've got this. You're doing this. And I, I just want to give a shout out to women everywhere. Y'all are amazing. You really are. I'm grateful for you for so many reasons, and, and this is just one of them, because guys, without women, we would have to do that. 
we would have to give birth and just take it from a guy who's been in the room to witness that twice. I'm not trying to ever do that. In this lifetime or any lifetime, not even theologically correct, but I just, my gosh, my, my friend Whitney, uh, a few years ago, she said this to me. It was such a heartfelt moment. There were tears uh, on her end, but she said, um, doesn't it just break your heart that you'll never know the miracle of what it is to grow another human in you and give birth and just looked at her like, huh, no, I've never thought that, ever, and never will. As far as I'm concerned, my wife is Wonder Woman. She is, she's tougher than me, sure. Better than me, cooler than me, better looking, obviously, clearly, right? Women, congratulations, you guys win. At whatever, whatever you win, you just, you just win. And by the way, side note, when they say baby number two comes faster than baby number one, they're just trying to help because they do. Because we got to the, the hospital at 1.05 a.m. Kinsley was born at 1.19 a.m. It's 14 minutes for all of those who have a calculator to check me on that. 14 minutes, you guys, which is why I'm 32 years old and my hair is this gray. <laughs> so now you know. But there was a life-changing moment for me in the hospital holding Kinsley for the very first time. And maybe I'm just a softie now and I say that like there was a time when I wasn't a softie. I'm a girl dad now and um, that just does stuff to you. And I, I had a moment where I was holding her and, and I got divinely disrupted by the second half of our vision of making earth more whole. Because I realized I want my little girl to grow up um, in a better world than what I see on the news. And I want my little girl to grow up in the church during its finest hour. I want Kinsley to grow up in a city that looks more like heaven than this. I want her to grow up on an earth more whole. We exist to make heaven more crowded and earth more whole. That's why we're here. But in order to do that, first we need to understand where we are in the biblical narrative of history to make more sense. And so this is going to get teachy for 10 minutes, and then we're going to get after this, but I think you're going to love it. And by the way, note takers, all of you type A note takers, you're welcome for the next 10 minutes. So here we go. All the way back in time, in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, not as two different places, but two different dimensions that overlapped and occupied the same space. Eden was quite literally heaven on earth. God with humanity, with no separation and no sin and no shame until Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also, by the way, gave some to her knucklehead husband, who, by the way, was with her. So we give Eve a lot of flack for this. Adam was with her. What's that, what's that fool doing? I'm like, is this the original bird watcher? Adam's birding and looking at blue jays and cardinals while his wife is being, like, this is another sermon. Don't get me started. Adam was with her. Let's keep going. And he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked in every way. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings 
for themselves. And in one moment, not through a magic apple, but through a decision by human beings to essentially say, our kingdom come and our will be done, the perfect DNA of the universe fractured, picture-perfect harmony was splintered, and because a holy and perfect God cannot dwell in the presence of sin, these two dimensions are, are pushed apart. Do we have the next slide? These are, are pushed apart. And so now, all of the division and all of the pain and all of the, all of the shame and like all the, the sin that we feel it is all, it, it, like everything that we can see and feel and experience on this planet and in this life all began in that one moment. And now to quote Tim Mackey, essentially church, what we have is two spaces. We have God's space or heaven, which is defined and marked by beauty and shalom and joy and peace and unity, and togetherness. And then we have the human space, or earth, which is defined by viruses, and anxiety, and depression, and pain, injustice, suicide. And to oversimplify all of this on purpose, the story of the Bible is God bringing these two dimensions back together, all right? So in the Old Testament, God's presence or heaven overlapped with earth like this through the temple or the tabernacle. So that's what you read about in the Old Testament, okay? So God, his presence used to dwell solely in buildings. And that was made possible by the sacrificial system. So let me explain. The wages of sin is death. And Leviticus says life is found in the blood. And so by killing an animal and spilling its blood, you could pay for or atone for kind of, sort of, just enough sin to kind of, sort of clean yourself up just enough so you could enter the temple and experience the presence of God at least like until you sinned again. So I read that and I'm thinking, okay, so like 30 seconds, right? Like, do you see the kind of sordidness of this system? I'm like, is this the sacrificial system, would it even work for Ethan? Could he even, like, would that work at all? Like, I, I don't know. The kind of sordidness of this system, and I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Oh, the sacrificial system, what a barbaric and cruel system. And okay, okay, But please understand, first and foremost, this was a system of grace. This was a signal flare of God's love to humanity because this was a way that he could be with his kids once again, right? He could be with his kids once again. And so if you ever ever wonder how serious God is of bringing these two dimensions back together so he can be with you. And also if you ever wonder how serious God is about sin and how serious he is about salvation, look no further, further than the ruthlessness of the sacrificial system and more importantly, the brutality of the cross of his son, Jesus. This helps us make more sense, by the way. Actually, let me say this before we do Hebrews 9. Jesus was the final sacrifice that permanently and perfectly, see, there's no dashed lines here. 
permanently and perfectly bridge the gap between heaven and earth once and for all. When Jesus took his final breath on that cross and surrendered his spirit and the earth shook and the sky went black and the curtain over at the temple that used to hide the presence of God was torn in two, from that moment on, heaven and earth permanently bridged, which means, and this is just the greatest news on the planet, this is the good news of the gospel, your sin, because of this right here, is simply no longer a problem for God. It's just not. It's not a problem for God because of Jesus. And I can say that to you, not even knowing your story, I don't have to, because I know this story. And that's all I need to know to tell you confidently that you're not better at sinning than Jesus is at saving. And that's not just a, a, a cool, catchy, preachy line. That is so real. That is the reality that we live in, that even on your worst day of messing up, you cannot drive apart what Jesus has permanently bridged. You are no longer a slave to the power of sin. He's conquered it. You no longer owe God a thing. Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. The perfect blood of Jesus washed it white as snow. This helps you make more sense of Hebrews chapter nine, verse 14. If animal blood and the other rituals of purification were uh, effective in cleaning up certain matters, kind of, sort of, of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice of a, of a perfect life at the perfect moment in order to perfect some very imperfect people who gather together to pursue a perfect God. Good triumphs over evil through one man's sacrifice, proving that God's love for humanity is unbreakable. And every movie you've ever seen and every book you've ever read, every story that's ever been told is simply just a beautiful picture and shadow of this story right here. And what you believe about this story is the most important thing about you. And I'm not sure who I'm talking to, but I knew I was supposed to say this. Not what you believe about Jonah in a whale and not what you believe about evolution and not what you believe about a, a talking snake. Those are, okay, all important conversations, but maybe it's just like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a softie now, I'm a girl dad now, but this just like, it breaks my heart to keep watching people specifically from my generation walk away from their faith unnecessarily. And so I have to ask you if, that, if that's you, if that's you listening to this right now, this comes from the most sincere place in my heart. What did you believe you had to believe in order to believe? This story, this event. To quote the Apostle Paul, if the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus never happened, then the very fact that we're gathering for church today is a joke. Why would we do this? But if it's real and Jesus is back from the dead, then game on. This event, this story, on this hinges the rest of history. We live in a different era now because of this event right here. This is where we find ourselves. Can you go to the next slide? That Jesus, through churches like ours and people like us, is dragging the age to come 
into the present age. So God doesn't dwell in buildings anymore like we just saw. His presence is no longer hidden behind a veil only for you to access via religion. His presence is now here and now for you to experience via relationship. His presence is here, church, in this room. And from the moment that you decide what you believe about that story, and from the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want his sacrifice to count for you, God's presence now dwells within you. And I say this to you all the time. That means when you showed up to church today, you did not show up to the presence of God at a building. You showed up with the presence of God, which, by the way, is why church is way more fun when you're here, because you show up and you bring a little bit of heaven with you when you do. We don't have time. Luke 19, go read it. Jesus makes it clear. The kingdom of heaven, you guys, is already here. It's here. It's in, it's in our midst already, but not yet in its entirety. So this is called inaugurated eschatology. Just drop that phrase this week if you want to sound smart. Ryan, you see in all this inaugurated eschatology? Wow. I don't know about you guys, I'm seeing so much inaugurated eschatology. And all it means is already, but not yet. So already means the war has already been won. Don't make the mistake of thinking God and Satan are in this divine dualistic duel with each other, punching it out right now. And that we're up in, the, we're up in God's grandstands, hoping and praying that, that our God's gonna make it out on top and in the end, good is going to triumph over evil. No, no, the war has already been won. The kingdom of heaven is here already, but, but the story is not yet over. Already, but not yet. This is the era we live in. And so if you feel and sense like there are two narratives taking place right now, that's because there are. So if you feel like heaven is gaining ground and God is on the move and something is, is getting stronger, that's because it absolutely is. And you, you feel this in specific moments. You, yeah, like the space between heaven and earth is thinning. And there are moments in this room worshiping with you guys where even though the, the speakers are really loud, I, my, my soul's quiet just long enough that when we sing words like the heavens are roaring, I, I go, I swear I can actually hear it. I can hear it. The space between is thinning. You sense this in moments in the middle of God's creation, in, in front of the ocean. Um, you feel it in the peace of the golden hour every single evening, laughing and playing with your kids, eating a home-cooked meal with your friends. All of these things are quite literally tastes of heaven on earth because heaven is already here. But if you turn on the news and it, I mean, it seems like, though, it seems like things are getting worse. Yep, that's because they are. The old is passing, and it's not passing peacefully. We are right now in the labor pains before the baby's here, and there's no epidural for this. 
This is why Paul says in Romans 8, go read it, creation is groaning right now, that the mountains are bowing in reverence, that the oceans are roaring his greatness, that the rocks are crying out in silence for Jesus to come back and put an end to this already but not yet era once and for all. It's almost as if creation, much like your soul, remembers what it was like in Eden. Have you ever asked yourself how you know in your soul it's not supposed to be like this? Something is informing you that this is the era we live in, but the story is not yet over. This is the tension where we live in 2021, the space in between the already but not yet. And that's why Jesus commands us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Ryan, will you come up here? Because this verse is so simple in essence, but so, so incredibly complicated in how it plays out. Because essentially it requires almost two seemingly opposing forces. So one of those is actively partnering with God in his kingdom come, and the other is kind of letting God be God and his will be done. So one of those is justice, the great commission. Let's charge the hill. Let's go. And the other is let go and let God be God. And he's in control. And I've had seasons of my faith. You're strong. I've had seasons of my faith where I've only done this. And I've had seasons of my faith where I've only done this. But Jesus seems to allude to this sweet spot, this, where, this proven effective balance where both forces and mindsets work together. Thanks, bro. You get a raise. <laughs> now, come on. How many know he doesn't? <laughs> your kingdom come, your will be done. Work like it all depends on you. Pray like it all depends on God. Go lead and make a difference, Christian. Never get out ahead of Jesus. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Tony Horton is the P90X guy. Who am I preaching to right now? Some of you are like, what's P90X? It's a, it's a workout. Some of you are like, a, what, what's a workout? A work what? What did you say? It's an exercise program, and, and Tony Horton is the leader of it. He's awesome, and at the start of every workout, he says this, and I quote, do your best, forget the rest. And by the way, you can't have the latter until you do the former. You can't have the latter until you do the former. Do your best and forget the rest. And I feel like Tony was a little prophetic and hit the nail right on the head here with Matthew 6, chapter 10. How do we make earth more whole? By doing and by letting. By working and by worshiping. By charging and by praying. By partnering in your kingdom come and by surrendering to your will be done. By let's go, and by let go. Do your best, forget the rest. So let's break this down 
one at a time, these two seemingly opposing forces that we are called to stand in the tension of. Because I've heard a lot of Christians say, we don't need to to go do, do, do. We just need to keep gathering and keep praying and keep worshiping. And then I've heard Christians say, no, we don't need to gather and pray or worship right now. Not the time. We need to do, 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 do. No, we need to do both. Or else we'll stumble this way or stumble this way and be rendered ineffective. Both these two forces, this is the church being the church. Your kingdom come and your will be done. So one at a time, here we go. Your kingdom come. Just like Jesus, here's how I'll explain it this way. Just like Jesus came to make an invisible God visible, the church is here to make an invisible kingdom visible. That's our job. It's why we're here, partnering with God and dragging the age to come into the present age, which means what we do matters. We've got to get rid of this evacuation theology that says this whole thing is going to hell in a handbasket and God's just going to evacuate us and blow the whole thing up anyways. No, no, I'm sorry. That's just, that's not the story. And I think that's bad theology that leads to Christian laziness. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He is in the process of refining and redeeming it here. The new heavens and the new earth one day will be here. God and humanity again with no separation, no sin, and no shame on earth as it is in heaven. And by the way, this is an active process. And so I was just brainstorming for a little bit yesterday trying to think of, so, so how does that play out? His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. How do, how do we do that? What does that look like? And I just wrote, it looks like countercultural acts of love. It looks like sharing Jesus with your friends and with your family, your coworkers, your roommates. It looks like inviting them to church to experience God. It looks like the giving and sharing of your time and talents and, and treasure to, to serve or to build or to fund or to volunteer to make a difference at, at this church or another church or a nonprofit or a company that's committed to making earth look more like heaven. It looks like actively engaging in racial reconciliation. It looks like choosing to see the people you usually don't see. It looks like taking care of the widows and the orphans, to quote James 1, 27. It looks like, like coming alongside and helping young pregnant girls who are scared to death and don't know what to do. It looks like adopting little kids who need moms and dads. It looks like taking care of this planet God has given us to steward and loving the people on it. And so for us as Red Rocks Church, our kingdom builder initiatives as a church, both local and global, are our projects and partnerships that we have to make earth more whole. So from Side by Side Kids, an organization right down the street from here, which exists to encourage and equip kids in some of Austin's most underprivileged neighborhoods to reach their highest God-given potential, all the way to Humanity and Hope down in Honduras, partnering with impoverished communities to achieve sustainable change, making earth more whole, to Compassion International, all across the globe, but for us specifically in Rwanda, giving kids in poverty a hope 
for a future by feeding them and educating them. To the Joshua Project in Nepal, reaching countries and remote villages and people groups in the 1040 window who have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. To the home of hope all the way on the other side of the world in India, from there all the way to the refuge ranch in our own backyard, two organizations that are both restoring girls from a hell on earth called sex trafficking, which by the way is the fastest growing crime in the world, and giving them a, a new life, making earth more whole. And whether you physically go, or whether you plan and send, or whether you pray, or whether you fund, you can do something, and we, because of that, can do anything, church. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, here to push back darkness, to love unconditionally even when people hate us for it, and to not be offended or shocked at the world when it acts like the world, but rather to walk an extra mile with our enemies, to leverage whatever God has given each and every one of us to make an invisible kingdom more and more visible until you can see it, but not just then, until you can hear it, until you can feel it, until you can taste it, until you can smell the fragrance of heaven on us as a church, amen? We are here to partner with God. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So toddlers love buttons. My two-year-old is no exception to this. He loves buttons. Our microwave is his favorite part of our house. From that to our digital fireplace we got on Amazon, um, to every button in my car, to the garage door opener, he has to be the one to, to do that. Toddlers love buttons. And I'm not a toddler, but for the next two minutes... I might push your buttons. Are you ready? Believers believe, disciples do. James 1.22, don't just hear the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. All right, here we go. We are the overtaught and underapplied generation of Christians. We would rather learn something new than do what we know. We listen to podcasts or read books as if the end game is to get wrecked by it. Whew, that wrecked me, that got me. And that's great, but don't be deceived, like James said. This is how that verse plays out in 2021 for us. Don't be deceived. Don't, don't incorrectly assume that just because it wrecked you that you just obeyed it. Don't assume that just because you got wrecked by that book that you did what that book told you to do. I put myself in this group, but we would, like, one of the reasons we wanna go deeper is because going deeper especially the more confusing it gets, is a great distraction from doing the simple stuff we learned last week. Don't be deceived. Oh, that wrecked me. That got me so, okay, awesome. Go and do it. It's the things we do, church, that drags the age to come into the present. It's the things we do say, the prayers we do pray, the sacrifice we do make, the people we do reach, the time we do give, the kindness we actually do share that partners with God in actively 
thinning the space between heaven and earth and making earth more whole through his kingdom come. Amen? It's his kingdom come. And Ben, you can come back out. And then it's your will be done. Next slide. There we go. Your will be done. We'll finish right here. And just so you know, this is just as active. This seems like the, uh, the passive one. No, this is just as active as your kingdom come. Remember, Jesus prayed this in Gethsemane. And in doing so, Father, not my will, but your will be done. When he prayed that, the toughest moment of his life, you know why? Because he literally surrendered his future. And I would argue so easily that was harder for him to do than it was to multiply food and walk on water. It is so hard, so incredibly difficult for the human heart to pray and mean those four words because whether we know it or not, and I think we don't know it in so many areas, we are addicted to an illusion called control. In an already but not yet world, you have two options every day. I'm gonna live by control or I'm gonna live by trust. This is especially true in seasons of the unknown. Pandemics have this really annoying way of making me feel completely powerless. And when I feel completely powerless, your gut reaction, survival kicks in. The human narrative kicks in and you start to to grasp for control. Now, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of good versions of control, controlling your tongue, controlling your budget, self-control with with your relationship to, to food or social media and technology, sexual immorality, good versions of control, but what about the kind of control that comes from a lack of trust? Blame shifting is grasping for control. So if I can scapegoat somebody, and blame the left or blame the right for all the problems, then the problem might persist, but at least I feel a sense, an illusion of of power. I think feeling powerless is the reason, especially Christians, gravitate towards conspiracy theories because it's just too much for the human heart to trust in the tension that bad and random and horrible things just sometimes happen in a post-Genesis 3 already but not yet world. We need, we need for our sake, we need narratives that explain how everything is connected, where we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, and God's against them and he's for us. There's comfort in narrative. Narrative is comfy for the present. This is what prediction does for the future. And by the way, there's there's so much good, don't like, please hear my heart, that comes with with figuring out narratives for the present and predicting the future and all like, so, so go with me here. I'm just talking about that part of your soul that needs to be in control. When we predict the future because it is unknown by definition and, and we hate that. We hate that, especially when the present right now is unknown. And so well, like, well, when's Jesus coming back? Are we in the end times? We are, okay, so what do we do? What's the future, what's the new normal gonna look like? And you know what? By definition, one dude out of the billion dudes who predict when Jesus is coming back is gonna be right. And not because God told him, but because he got lucky and just so happened to say it at the exact right time. And by definition, some conspiracy theory is actually not a conspiracy or a theory, it's real. All I'm saying is our faith begins with trust, not grasping 
grasping for control. This is our narrative, church. To be able to drop to our knees in our garden and, and pray, Jesus, your will be done. Now I'm gonna try to explain the present, sure. I'm gonna plan for my future, absolutely. But not because I am I'm desperate to cling to something stable because you are my something stable. Even something, okay, and this isn't, this came to me at the nine, and all of us have our version of this, okay? But even something as simple and innocent as obsessively cleaning, like your house or whatever, or obsessing over your perfect planner and schedule, right? By the way, great things. Keep doing that. Get your cleaning on. Life's better when stuff's neat. Proverbs 30, 14. It's not really, but it should be. It, it, okay, it's just better, okay? All I'm saying is pay attention to how your soul reacts when interruptions drag mud through your house. And this could be literal for a few of you and metaphorical for the rest of us. Pay attention to how your soul reacts when your perfect plan falls through because of the chaos and unpredictability of life. Here's my invitation to you. Get curious about what triggers you and then get courageous enough to follow that into a garden that you most feel the need to grasp for control and see if you can do what Jesus did and say, in this space, God, not my will, but your will be done. Surrender in that moment. Then you could have a future with a clean house, but not because you need it to feel sane or in control. So you can just enjoy it. We all have our, our, our I call them our DOCs, our drugs of choice. And, and for some people, it's narcotics and alcohol. For some people, it's cleaning or the gym. But all, and for some people, it's religion and church. But all of it is like, I gotta, I need to use this because at least I can control this in a world where I feel so powerless. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the peace that you're looking for, the contentment, the completion that your soul is hungry for, that you're trying to manufacture by controlling everything is actually found the moment you surrender and trust him, even in the unknown. Jesus in Gethsemane, not my will, but your will. And what that led to, the treasure that waits for you within his scars, this gift of freedom, your control cannot buy. You know what kids are? Kids are the perfect, the perfect reminder that chaos is not always a problem to be solved, but also oftentimes an invitation to trust more. So last week, me and Will were making chocolate chip cookies in the kitchen, and in three minutes time, that's it, there was sugar and flour and vanilla extract all all over the kitchen, on his clothes and on my clothes. It was absolute chaos, but in the midst of all the disarray, you wanna know what the product was? It was quality time and a freezer full of chocolate chip cookies because cookies are best served frozen. Don't email me, there's no debate. What's your drug of choice? I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. What are your drugs of choice? Get curious, guys, about what triggers you 
Because if you follow the breadcrumbs from your triggers, rather than self-medicating with what you can control, it might lead you to a place where you can surrender and find yourself in a spot where you are experiencing more freedom than you ever found over there trying to grasp for control. It's scary, but there's something in you that is actually not wired or made for the road always traveled. Your faith is made to go off the beaten path. This is where freedom is found, not in grasping for control. Did you know the number one phrase in the Bible is do not fear? You will not find a more repeated phrase in the Bible than do not fear. What is fear? Fear is essentially believing uh, like uh, something negative about the future and then choosing to believe it, which gets me thinking, why would we do that to ourselves? Because the more we fear the future, the more we're gonna grasp for control in the present. But did you know faith is actually the same impulse as fear. It's just redirected away from control towards surrender and trust. And so I'm not sure who I'm talking to, but if you're a good worrier, you're going to be an even better worshiper because it's the same imagination. You just flipped the script and redirected it from grasping for control in everything in your life to coming to Jesus like a little kid and saying, I don't got to have it all in my control because you do. That's what worship is when we do this. Sing yourself into it. Let go. It's harder than let's go. But my goodness, the freedom that you find. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we do that? It's a divine dance between let's go and let go. And so would you guys stand and grab your communion cup go ahead and take your bread, the wafer cracker, out of there. Jesus led his disciples in that very first communion moments before he went to Gethsemane to pray that prayer that led to his crucifixion. And he said, here's what we all have in common as human beings, guys. We forget. We forget. Not the bad things, just the good stuff. If it's bad, we tend to remember it for years. That's why he said, do this in obedience out of remembrance, not for me, for you, for you. And he told his boys, he said, this doesn't make sense quite yet, but give it about 12 hours and it will. This is my body broken for you. Let's take it in and remind yourself his kingdom come. And this next part, he grabbed the, the grape juice, which just splashed all over my white shirt. <laughs> it looks good. Thank you. It looks on purpose. He said, this is my blood. This is the blood that dribbled down the cross right behind his body that was broken. He signed this contract, this covenant in his blood that says no longer does God require sacrifice of any kind because I was the last one. I was the perfect one at the perfect moment to perfect anybody else who wants my sacrifice to count for you for absolutely free. By my blood, you're forgiven. Drink this and remember that his will be done. Remember this narrative, you guys, that sin drove apart heaven and earth. 
but Jesus permanently has bridged the two back together and we take communion to remind ourselves we live in a different kind of world now than they did a little over 2,000 years ago. Jesus is back from the dead like I told you in the very beginning and now anything is possible in your life at any moment because Jesus is back from the dead and you no longer owe him a thing, even everything we just talked about in this sermon. None of it's prerequisites for your salvation. This is a meal you will never be able to afford with all the prereqs in the world. It's simply given to you for free. Your salvation, you're good. You're just, you're good, man. You might live in a world that's not yet finished and not yet bridged, but you live in a world where the war has already been won. And let me just remind you as we look forward, this is what the final outcome looks like. Do we have that? Yeah, there we go. This is it, new heaven and new earth. This place refined, renewed, God and humanity together once again. You have no idea what it is that we're looking forward to, church. You have no idea the holy anticipation that you should live this life with right now. No idea what's coming. And this is why we say the best is yet to come. And by, uh, by the way, that's true if you're 97. The best is yet to come because that right there is yet to come. This is how the biblical narrative ends. In the meantime, in the already but not yet, in the space between, in the tension that we live in, we are actively partnering with God and his kingdom come and his will be done. This divine dance between let's go and let go. Let charge the hill, the great commission. Let's take more ground for the kingdom. Let's build the church and then let's let go and let God be God and surrender wherever we have control issues so that we can get on with enjoying our lives in this process, man. His kingdom come and his will be done. So Jesus, we love you. I just pray right now. as we sing and as, as we do this exercise in letting go, that we would not waste the next 12 minutes, that you would, Holy Spirit, maybe you'd reveal to everybody in this space listening right now, the gardens in their lives where they most feel the need to grasp for control. So as they proclaim who you are, Jesus, they can remember what you did in your garden and surrender and choose to trust instead. That ain't for the faint of heart, but what that leads to is freedom that gold cannot buy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.